The last episode ended with a cliffhanger. I talked about employees complaining about other employees. The, the other most common complaint category is employees complaining about managers. Hi, I'm Michelle Aronson, and welcome to True Stories at Work, where we discuss the best things about working in human resources. The people, the stories, and the things that happen at work that we don't even know about. I'm a recovering HR executive, certified coach, and business school professor who knows that the best stories happen at work. From heartbreaking to heartwarming, from hilarious to outrageous. Today, you get the pleasure of a double dose of Bruce. So if you're just tuning into this podcast, start with episode five, where this story begins. Remember, Bruce studied HR, only worked in HR, and oversaw the employee relations functions of a 15,000-person company. He had a ringside seat to watch the best and worst behaviors at work, including from leaders. I think the sad reality, I don't think there are a lot of very good leaders. And I don't think it's easy to be a good leader. And you have to want to be a good leader. But so many people have gotten into management who don't even like to manage people. But that was the only way they can move up. Bruce reminds us that when leadership is done well, it's magic. And the impact can last a lifetime. That was literally 20, maybe like 22 years ago. But you still remember it. Like mm-hmm. it's that Remember it was good. like yesterday. I, yeah. remember, I remember being in the, you know, the large meeting room. And, and the impact that, that you know, those, those messages had. Spoiler alert, at the end we have yet another incident of love gone wrong at work. And by love, I mean a relationship that started out as an affair, but was really sexual harassment all along. It was his admin who turned him in, who we later found out he had been having an affair with, and the relationship fell apart. And then all of a sudden she wanted to, you know, get revenge on this individual. At the end, you will get to hear a workplace confession, something that didn't make it through the doors of HR. Another one from my lifelong friend, Zoe, where she pulls a Robin Hood move with some shiny new office chairs. This is episode six, the final episode of my first season. So please take one minute and go to physicsatwork.com slash podcast and vote for your favorite episode. These are the first six podcasts I have ever created, so I invite you to share feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Now let's pick up with Bruce where we left off. Moving from employees complaining about each other to employees complaining about their manager. I talked about employees complaining about other employees. The, the other most common complaint category is employees complaining about managers. And one of the challenges during COVID, in particular, we had so many employees that are call center employees, non-exempt employees, and they were used to always being, you know, at a center, being watched closely by their manager. Now they're at home. And, you know, what was the complaint? My manager is micromanaging me all day long, right? 
they want to know everything I'm doing. They're checking my records constantly. You know, you logged in X couple minutes late. What's going on? So they felt like managers now were acting like they were a police person. And so before where they were never being questioned, now they're being questioned. Even though at the end of the day, there's these performance metrics and they're hitting the performance metrics, but they're still wondering, are they spending all their time in a productive manner or not? So that was an area where we started to get a number of complaints. Mm -hmm. I think complaining about your manager is completely legal, right? I mean, I think it is. <laughs> Last time I checked. I know we had, when social media first kind of hit big, we had a bunch of managers coming down saying, my employees are complaining about me. I, I want to discipline them. And I said, well, why don't you just be a better manager? It was like, you know, they're micromanaging me or they're, mm -hmm. they're not friendly or, you know, those kinds of things. But you bring up something interesting. So one of the things that we decided to do, because we were getting so many complaints against managers, was, you know, how do we reduce the number of complaints, right? It's not doing something <laughs> to change employees. We have to change something about the managers. And so we rolled out what you would think in corporate America is the most basic thing you can do. And it was civility training. And people hear that and they're like, oh my God, like I need civility training when you explain what it entails, which is how to interact with people in a respectful manner and how far that goes. Because if you don't treat people with respect, if you talk down to people, if you treat them like a kid, if you're overly you know, critical, and there's a right way to give constructive feedback, but we rolled out this training just to teach managers, these are basic things that are gonna cause you to tick off your employees, and why would you interact that way? It's not appropriate, right? Would you want someone to treat you that way? And so we walked them through very specific situations that were based on employee complaints. And the light bulbs really started to go off, because there was resistance <laughs> big time initially but they loved the examples. And they're like, oh my God, is that how we're coming across? Or is that how my you know, peer supervisor's coming across? Because you know, no wonder they're upset. Obviously it was a stressful time. Managers trying to deal with people remotely and they'd never done that before and trying to hit their goals, right? Can they do it with people working from home? So you, know, you get more stressful, you get more agitated, you start saying things that maybe you shouldn't or you get really emotional. And that was the other, other key secret sauce was talking about managers to help them build their self-awareness about are you starting to get emotional as you're talking to somebody because you never should get emotional. Keep calm and then people will, will react to you calmly. You get excited, the employee's gonna get excited and the next thing you know, that person's going to file a complaint against you. Whether it's justified or not, that's what's going to happen. I love that. When the, when the uh, pandemic started, I did some programs with leaders combining emotional intelligence and virtual leading. And what it really was is like self-awareness plus being a good human being virtually because you, you miss out on the fact that you're not passing them in the hallway and having those mm -hmm. little moments of niceties that you, how was your weekend? What's going on? <laughs> you know, those moments of connection, those moments of caring about them, like you said, like a human being, 
And you've got to build that into your 25-minute Zoom meeting or whatever your, your yeah. format is. And this may blow your mind. We literally produce talking points for managers so that when they had one-on-one -on -one meetings with employees, there were two or three things they made sure they brought up or asked about in order to help build that connection with the employee. Whether it's just asking, how are things going with you right now? Mm -hmm. You know, it's, it's stressful for me, you know, to deal with this COVID stuff and working remotely and, you know, blah, blah, blah. But managers weren't really just equipped to know how to connect with employees and how to maintain a good relationship. And so here's just something so basic, yet it could be so powerful. All that going on while a spouse is walking behind the camera naked <laughs> and the house is on fire from their children. <laughs> Kids keep walking in the room uh -huh, and you keep uh -huh. trying to get them out of the room and, you know. Tell me a good leadership story, an example of where they were able to inspire people really well. It, it doesn't sound like it'll be a personal one, <laughs> but maybe another person's. I, I had a couple of good leaders, but I mean, I could be really critical when it comes to looking at an individual and assessing their leadership skills and ending up with the conclusion that, hey, that's really a good leader. I think the sad reality, I don't think there are a lot of very good leaders. And I don't think it's easy to be a good leader. And you have to want to be a good leader. But so many people have gotten into management who don't even like to manage people, but that was the only way they can move up. And, you know, they think the way to manage people is X, Y, Z. I need to micromanage or I need to not get involved at all. You know, just stay out of everything and whatever happens, happens. So a lot of people not wanting to get into it. A lot of people not well uh, trained to, to do it. You know, there have been some leaders who have been amazing. And there's one individual. This is when I was in the insurance business, worked for an insurance company, who was extremely passionate. I don't want to use the word charismatic. I think that's kind of overused. But he was very passionate about the work, and he was very passionate about the people. And when he spoke, he didn't try to put spin on anything. Getting back to one of my pet peeves, I think of all the meetings I've ever attended where I hear, this is great, and that's great, and this is great, and this is great, and that's great, when it's like a town hall meeting or it's, a, you know, you're the leader of a function. I don't understand how hard it is to just say, hey, we're struggling here, struggling there, we need to work on this. But this is what this leader did. He was so genuine. You know, when he spoke, you felt he's speaking the truth. He's not putting spin on things. I know he cares about me as well as the company. Um, I know he's listening to me. I love the fact that he did not spend much time in his office. In fact, you can almost never find him in his office because he was interacting with not his direct reports, but down to the lowest level individual that was within his chain of command. And anything from how's the family to what do you think we should do differently? You know, to be more efficient, more effective, have better customer service. So a leader who really gets into the business, who doesn't hide in their office, who's willing to seek input out from, you know, from other people and who's genuine. 
I will never forget him. You know, it really stands out, and he really influenced my management style. Do you remember any of the tough messages? Was there anything <laughs> particularly memorable? Yes. So he had a very large group of underwriters in his organization. And he said, I'm going to do a little bit of a skit. <laughs> so he was a little bit dramatic, and he liked being on stage. And all of a sudden, he just started to pretend that he was an underwriter. And all of a sudden, he is talking to someone on the phone, and then he just like, he's pretending to talk on the phone, and then he just drops his head on the desk. And he said, you know what I'm doing? I'm doing heads down underwriting. I'm, I go to work, and I'm just doing the same thing every day and asking the same questions every day, and I'm just getting through my job, and I'm having you know the same conversation with people every day. And you know what it's, that's going to get us? The same result every day. And I need the underwriters to step up. Okay. I need us to do a better job of selecting who we are underwriting because here's where we're at and this is not an acceptable level. So here are the things I'm not only asking you to do, I'm telling you, you need to do it in order for us to be successful. But when he just kind of acted out the scene and I just covered a couple points around it, that's another thing that just, you know, really stood out was that phrase, this head down <laughs> underwriting and never be a heads down underwriter. Head up, be sharp. Don't always follow the script if, a, you know, a conversation's going a certain way to make sure you're making wise decisions when it came to underwriting. How many years ago was that? That was literally 20, maybe like 22 years ago. But you still remember it. Like mm -hmm. it's that Remember it was good. like yesterday. I, yeah. remember, I remember being in the, you know, the large meeting room and and the impact that that you know those those messages had yeah it's it when you experience a good leader it changes you or you you can remember the moment almost mm -hmm. i think emotions drive memories so you're probably surprised somebody's acting a skit out and then what they're saying <laughs> is funny and powerful and, and it resonates yes yes yeah. yes how about the opposite of that an example of bad leadership like that is just that palpable whether you are a first-line supervisor or you're a senior executive, there have been some really bad leaders, and I have been most, I usually hate using the word disappointed, but disappointed in senior people, and I don't understand how they got to where they got when some of them treated people so badly that you had individuals going out on a leave of absence, you had individuals calling in and saying they, you know, they were, they were sick, they were stressed. You had individuals going to their management or HR saying, you know, I'm in therapy. And this is all because of how one individual is treating their team. And these are usually leaders who have very large teams and so it kind of trickles down in the organization. And the reason I believe they were allowed to get away with it is they were extremely results oriented. So they always hit the numbers, right? They always made sure the work got done, but they did it in such an unprofessional way, inappropriate way. And, you know, when I would investigate those, even though I'd find clear evidence of violations of company policy, they took it that far where they created environments where people were so intimidated 
that they felt they would be retaliated against if they ever came forward. And, you know, who wants to allow that type of environment? But when I would recommend the person be, let's say, terminated or put on a final written warning, how we get so much resistance from senior management. Oh, but they're a great performer and this and that. Yeah, but look what the, the impact they're having on human beings, right, who are suffering, who are stressed out, who are leaving. How do we tolerate that? So thankfully at times we were able to exit those individuals. Sometimes it took a year of complaints before they were exited, but I just, I could not believe just how badly these, these people would treat their employees. Do you have a specific example? Yeah, I mean, there was, there was one individual who, and this is not somebody who was like, you know, new to the workforce. They'd probably been in the workforce, I don't know, I, I want to guess they were maybe like 45 years old. And I understand how brilliant, you know, they were and how creative they were and all these things they were coming up with that senior leadership was very excited about and how much money they're, you know, making for the company. But they were literally talking to people as if they were a general and everyone was a private. They went out of their way to insult people in meetings in front of other individuals. Just constant criticism of that individual interrupting individuals as giving a presentation and telling them, this is terrible. This is the worst presentation I've ever heard. I think you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. But then it started to get into even talking about different groups. Well, you're a woman. So, you know, I expect uh, that you're going to get emotional. And if you're going to be emotional, then we're not going to have a conversation. And, and there were other groups he talked about, and I won't get into the details, but there were individuals who did end up filing, you know, charges against the company based on what he said. We could not defend against those charges. When we looked into it, the evidence was there that he did in fact say what people claimed. It was, you know, not just inappropriate, it was, you know, in our view, discriminatory. Tell me about your most interesting investigation. And I'll have, where's my glass of champagne? So, uh, interestingly enough, it involved an officer. And I'll, I'll change things around a little bit just to protect the... <laughs> I don't want to say innocent out Guilty. There, but, I don't know, maybe protect the company that, that I worked for at the time. And this goes back a ways. But it started with something very basic, which was their secretary or admin coming forward and saying, I think my boss is putting through expenses that he really shouldn't be putting through. And so we started to look at his expenses. Now, what's interesting is that she brought this forward when she did. Because every time we looked at expenses, we would go further and further and further back because we kept finding suspicious expenses. And all of a sudden, we're back two years, and all the expenses have to go through her. So in meeting with him, and we're asking about expenses, like, why is it every week you're going to lunch multiple times with a variety of people and always charging the company? You know that's against you know company policy to 
put your, you know, your lunches on there. And keep in mind, he would never admit to any wrongdoing. Then it became, as we're looking at this, the hotels he's staying at, none of which are approved. And he's charging those to the company. He's inviting his wife on these trips. And the company's paying for everything associated with, you know, his wife, every meal that they that they go to. So it's amazing how this was never found out by anyone in uh, the accounting, you know, function. Or his manager, sadly, was not really looking at his expenses. He just kept approving anything. But as we looked into things more, so it was his admin who turned him in, who we later found out he had been having an affair with, and the relationship fell apart. And then all of a sudden she wanted to, you know, get revenge on this individual. So, you know, he's having an affair with somebody who works for him, who he... Reports to him. Reports, it's beyond working reports, with him. Yeah, as, reports to him, who he hired, who he relocated and had the company pay for. So in the company's history, they never relocated. They never filled a job with a admin who lived in some other state and then paid for a reload package. And it was because he was having an affair with her at the time. But it just goes on and on and on. He then started to have... He gave her the authority to sign documents that he never looked at, contracts that he never looked at. There were compliance requirements that you take certain tests. He had her take the tests <laughs> for him. And again, no matter what we asked, it's like he had an excuse for everything. I wasn't feeling well and I know there was a deadline and uh, I couldn't get my computer to work. So I was actually right behind her as she's doing the test for me and, you know, blah, blah, blah. And of course, when we looked into it, nobody agreed with, with anything he had to say. But at the end of the day, we found where he was charging, he overcharged the company tens of thousands of dollars in this two-year time period. I'm trying to think if I'm forgetting something because it's like everywhere we looked, we found something new about this individual. What's the moral to this story? <laughs> the moral to the story. Gosh, that's a tough one. The moral to the story. I mean, as far as leaders, you know, if you're doing something inappropriate, eventually it's going to catch up to you. You know what? It, here's actually the moral to the story. He never should have been hired because he was working as a contractor and while he was a contractor, there were signs that his behavior was not in line with our values and not appropriate. You know, there were rumors about him kind of pushing the envelope and even how he was going about charging the company for his services, how many hours he actually worked. And, you know, we also heard about managers who had noticed things when he was working for us, but because he was an officer, they didn't say anything. So this whole thing could have been addressed, you know, so much faster early on after his joining the organization, because right after he joined is when he started to do all these, you know, inappropriate things. I love that story. You know, I think every HR person has a story where, like, the boss sleeps with their admin. I, th I have multiple, and it's frustrating because we do do training, but... 
it doesn't sink in. You know, it's something that sticks out with me, but I also had partnered with somebody on it because it was a senior level individual. We wanted to make sure we had two of us in the room. And number one, we, we couldn't believe that someone can be so far along in their career and still act this way, that they would constantly lie no matter what question we asked them or make up some just totally outlandish story as if we were dumb enough to believe it. We actually interviewed him multiple times, and his story would even change from one meeting to the next. So hard to believe that you know there are people out there that would act that way in senior-level positions. But throughout my career, sadly, uh, you know, I am aware of being, you know, I've been in organizations where we've let senior leaders go for sexual harassment, you know, for engaging in inappropriate relationships, either with somebody who's a direct report or somebody they work very closely with, and somehow they rationalize that it's okay. And one of those individuals was head of HR. So I actually was investigating my own boss and found out he was engaging in sexual harassment. Who hasn't investigated their own boss? <laughs> Sadly. Oh my God, that's, that's just scary. We do have a listener question who would like to know some tips and tricks for investigations. What are a few of your favorites? We would always start an interview with somebody when, when we're doing an investigation by telling them what we expected. You know, we expected them to cooperate. We expected them to tell the truth. And if they told the truth, that would be something that could end up in their favor. But if they don't tell the truth, they could be terminated just based on not telling the truth. And I'm the kind of person who, who it can be very forgiving. So, you know, let's say you did something one time and then you admitted to doing it and then you were remorseful about it. These are things we definitely would take into account. And what I found is by giving these people another chance, they almost never repeated the behavior. On the other hand, it, it, you know, it's amazing how people chose not to come forward, be honest, tell the truth. And as a result, and is it, and you learn, I mean, I have been trained very thoroughly by former FBI interrogators on how to determine whether or not somebody is being truthful, which I would also refer to as forthright. And I was even brought into meetings with people. So although I handled certain investigations, most investigations were handled by others, either people who worked on my team or we partnered with some other areas like security, the law department. And at times those other areas would bring me in and say, you know, we're going to talk to this person while all you do is assess whether or not you think they're being honest with us. And there's, and there's actually these very specific criteria that you use to determine whether or not somebody's being forthright. Lay them out. Give me a few. <laughs> we look for how the person is showing up, meaning do they feel comfortable? And you can tell from their body language, you know, if they just, if they're relaxed, if they, if they answer your questions, you know, very easily. Once they start going into elaborate stories and they get really specific, you can already tell, okay, th th this is, 
This is somebody who's not being straight, straight with me. And then just the body language. Now, here's the key thing about body language that's really important that, you know, most people haven't heard about. They think if, you know, someone's leg is moving and their eyes are going back and forth and, you know, they're very fidgety or nervous, that's a tell. But that's not what we look for. We don't look for any of that. You know, we don't, we don't look for certain nervous movements in general. We look for changes in behavior. So the best thing you could do is ask people baseline questions. What's your name? What's your job title? How long have you worked here? So you gauge their reaction to those neutral questions. Then you start asking your investigation questions. Do they change their behavior? Do they change the tone of their voice? Do they change where they you know, look? Do they start now showing a certain kind of habit where maybe they're tapping on the table? And then you go back to asking them these like black and white, easy to answer questions and look for that change back and then go back to the, I want to call them interrogation questions, but interview questions. And it's not that hard to, to really recognize those things. That is awesome advice for everybody who needs to do an investigation because a lot of times they get right into it, right? They go, where were you on the night of July 21st? Some of it is a little bit of rapport building because you may not have met that person. So you want them to feel a little bit more comfortable. So and, if, and if you're not sure, so here's, here's another tip. Maybe you can't tell exactly if the person's being straight with you because they're really good at, at lying. And I've had this happen when I've interviewed certain attorneys. I would literally come out and say, I don't know if you're telling me the truth. How do I know if what you're saying now is truthful? And if they go off into some elaborate story, I got you. But if they come across with confidence, short answer, to the point, then they are more likely to be legitimate. So there's nothing wrong with putting somebody on the spot to say, I'm kind of questioning whether or not what you're saying is true. I have so many stories I want to share with that. <laughs> I just can't even stand it. But I will speak up for all the fidgeters in the world because I literally can't sit still. Mm -hmm. Like, it's definitely not a tell for me. Any other sage wisdom or any questions for me? This is kind of the end. Let me share just one more wacky Please story. Please do. I would I'll love it. Share some sage wisdom. <laughs> so, I mean, not a lot of people know the details of this one, and, and it's... Hard to even believe somebody would act this way. But, you know, one day an employee happened to bring their, their dog to work. You know, so somebody contacted us and said, my coworker has a, a dog by their, their desk. And I don't, I don't know what's going on. We, we obviously didn't allow, allow pets at work, <laughs> including dogs. And when we approached the person, oh, this is a service dog. Okay, well, in what way are they providing service and we're, you know, you'll need to provide us with some documentation. Here's the process. Well, I really, I don't have the documentation yet. And it's kind of hard to explain exactly, you know, what they do for me, but it's really helpful and the dog needs to be here. And, and well, why is it today? Like what did something happen? This is this, you know, whatever it is you're dealing with, <laughs> suddenly you're, this is a service dog who needs to be here. So bottom line is they didn't have any paperwork. It made no sense why they had their dog. We still don't know why they had their dog. The next day, we get a call from an employee saying there's a dog in somebody's car. And it must have been 90 degrees outside. 
And one window was open a little bit. And whose dog was it? The same individual. Oh my gosh, you know, I, I just, I didn't have anyone to take care of the dog. So I thought it would be fine if I just left the dog in a car all day. So this person started to get mad at us, believe it or not. And the next thing we know, they're filing a complaint. Workers' compensation. But it's nothing to do with the dog. It's they injured themselves while opening the door that leads to the, this is the entrance door to the, to the building. They don't, I mean, do they not realize we have cameras everywhere? So, <laughs> ironically, where they said they opened the door, the doors happened to be open that day because we asked them where exactly was it, when did it happen? They didn't even have to grab anything. It was just walking right through because the, the doors were open, right? So we confront them on that. All of a sudden, they just really seem to go off the deep end because next week we get a call. I'm sitting here in a meeting with so-and-so. They think it's going to rain any minute, so they've opened their umbrella in the meeting, and they're just waiting for the storm to happen. What should we do? <laughs> Needless to say, we worked with that employee to take a leave of absence and have you know, her take care of whatever needed to be taken care of, but it was definitely somebody that was having some issues. It sounds like she needed to take care of her dog. <laughs> <laughs> Please take a leave of absence and yeah. take care of your dog. Uh, um, words of wisdom. I, 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 I want to give advice to... HR people and management at the same time. Because we wonder why we end up with all the issues we do with management. And in my opinion, it's pretty straightforward. On the one hand, people think there's all these mean managers out there. Yeah, there are some really mean managers out there who should be you know, fired for inappropriate behavior. But we select people into management. And if there was one area I would spend so much time focusing on because it's the most important decision we make, it's who gets selected for a management position, in particular if they're an individual contributor, because they're going to go on then, you know, if they get selected, to have a, an impact on so many people's lives. And they may then end up getting promoted and moving on. And these are the ones eventually who you find out are going to create all kinds of issues and problems. And it's because we're in such a hurry to follow that same stupid formula of, oh, I'm going to hire the best individual contributor. Instead of really digging deep into what does this individual have to show that they're capable of being a manager. And I always think it's so important to test people, right? How hard is it if you're going to consider someone for a manager job who's never been one to put them in a project management role have them lead a project, have them own a project, find situations where they can temporarily manage people, get feedback from those individuals, and see how they do. The other is to really assess that interest level. Do they really seem to have passion about being a manager, or does it just seem like a ticket to a promotion in the next grade level? But to me, that's the biggest failure point in, in organizations. I agree. And I also would say that we also just expect them to know how to lead. We tend to like promote them, maybe offer them a little bit of training. We don't help them with like self-awareness. We don't help them with understanding other people's selves. We put them in these places and then we don't offer them any 
support or training or leadership development in a timely way. So, I, I, I totally agree. I think the word support is key because part of it is training. Part of it is having a go-to manager who's really good that you meet with on a regular basis and you talk to about the things the person should know and maybe there's things they're struggling with. But the other part is checking with employees along the way and finding out what, that's the best way to find out, what is this person struggling with so that you can then figure out what to readjust. The other thing I wanna say is sometimes we overdo it with training. And I've been a trainer. And I think the biggest mistake is we throw too much information at people. And it's like, oh, here's everything you need to know about X instead of here are the handful, and I mean handful, make or breakers when it comes to managing people. And if you can get those down, then yeah, we can add to that, enhance it, et cetera. I was doing some research not that long ago, came across something that indicated 75% of people are leaving their manager versus their company. And I always used to question when I would hear people were leaving their manager. But then I realized what that really meant. Yes, it meant they're leaving the mean manager, but it also meant they were leaving a manager who never paid any attention to them, spent no time with them, didn't care about them. They were leaving the manager that micromanaged them. They were leaving the manager who showed no care about them. It's like they're a thing, <laughs> they're an asset. But, you know, I don't care if you're here or not, I don't care about your personal life, etc. They also, you know, workload is such an issue today and so is stress. But you have these managers who aren't meeting with their employees to talk about prioritization and how busy they are and how stressed out they are. And let's work together to address those issues. So that's what it really means to leave a manager is your manager has the power to do these things to help you, but they're not doing it. And the last one, especially for Gen Z, younger millennials, is they want to learn skills. They want to develop. They want to grow. And if their manager is not helping them do that, they're going to leave that individual. True that. <laughs> <laughs> I got nothing else to add. Right. So I appreciate you coming on to my podcast and um, drinking champagne. I've enjoyed it. And thanks for your time. Thanks for having me. I've enjoyed it as well. And good luck. I need it. Thanks, Bruce. <laughs> We've all done something bad at work, but here's your chance to confess. From small wrongs, like borrowing office supplies to simplify your back-to-school shopping, or snacking on a coworker's lunch, to the major workplace sins, the sex, drugs, and rock and roll type. Here is today's Conscious Clearing Confession. This workplace confession feels very Robin Hood-esque. And I'm curious if this has happened in your workplace, sort of a redistribution of resources. Here's another workplace confession from my BFF Zoe for your listening pleasure. Workplace confession five. I'm in a new role and I am a supervisor and I have to travel for this particular job. And on this trip, my boss let me know that another location needed new office chairs. And since I was heading to that location, would I go and pick them up in a company van 
and drive them the four and a half, five hours out out to them and, and drop them since I was going to be there anywhere. And I said, of course, not a problem. So I take the van and I go downtown to where uh, this office furniture is and I see these chairs and they are nice. I mean, really nice. They roll, they adjust, and I work in a field environment where everything, quite frankly, is a piece of crap. So I took all of these chairs, these beautiful chairs, and I took them to my location and I unloaded all of them and I gave all of my employees a new chair and I filled our conference room with these beautiful chairs and I took our crappy 1970 awful chairs that had no adjustment and they were like this woven yellow and orange and brown fabric on chrome and wood-handled armrests. And they were so heavy, and I loaded them up. And I drove them all the way across the state, and I dropped them off to that location. <laughs> they, were, they were pretty disappointed. <laughs> yeah, that was a good one. This feels innocent, and I hope the office that was expecting the new chairs was able to order additional new ones. I do wonder why companies use old, crappy, non-ergonomic chairs. Workers' comp injuries cost a lot more than the cost of a new chair. I can also suggest if you need new office chairs, I'll introduce you to my brother, who sells great office furniture. So no need to be using crappy old chairs in this modern workplace. Now clear your conscience by submitting your workplace confession at physicsatwork.com slash podcast. That's it for episode six, the last episode of my first season. So do me a favor and go to physicsatwork.com slash podcast to vote for your favorite episode. Thanks for listening. Haiku for Bruce, part two. Great managers are hard to find and even more difficult to leave.